Hi, and welcome to the Radius Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're interested in finding out more information about Radius Church, please check us out on our website, radiuschurch.tv. It was kind of tricky. I didn't want to promote each week the series as survival strategies, and it's for dating, marriage, and parenting. I'm going to mix a little bit of all of that in each week, although each week will have a specific one. I didn't want to tell you ahead of time which one was coming when, because I, I was afraid you would pick and choose which ones to come to and not come to. And I especially didn't tell you about this week, uh, because I want to start this series Ladies, I need a little grace, okay, because I want to start this series talking primarily to men. And you say, well, Ken, you have that opportunity every Tuesday night as you speak to the young men's discipleship group, and I do, and I've learned a lot from them. And because of my time with these men, uh, this message was birthed. And so I purposely want to start off by talking to men in the earshot of the women that are in the room. Okay, and, and I understand I might say some things today, and usually Radius, if you've been here, it's kind of rowdy. We like to amen, and we like to clap when the preacher makes a good point. Sometimes it sounds like we're at a PGA golf tournament, and sometimes it sounds like we're at an MMA fight. It just depends on the point that I'm making. Today, I understand that it might be a little awkward at different points, and what I don't want to have happen is I don't want a single woman to point at their husband, boyfriend, father, or anybody and say, see, I told you so. Not that you would ever do that, but I'm just warning the people that are watching online. One of the great things about Radius that I love about Radius is uh, Christianity is the only religion in the world where women outnumber men. Christianity, the only religion in the world. And most churches across our nation are 60% women to 40% men. And I want you to know at Radius, we're almost completely opposite. We're like 58% men and so forth. And I think those are good signs. And, and, and if you hear me today through the filter of what the world says about men, sometimes through this series you might think I'm chauvinistic. I'm not. Not at all. I believe in equality and all those things. Those are not the arguments that I'm here to make at all. The great news is that God is bringing men here. And God is raising up mighty men and the power and the influence that God gives men. I know he gives women power and influence also. And your day will come during this series. But today is the men's day. Can I hear a grunt from the men? Come on, all right? <laughs> and if women, you want to help me out every once in a while, just disguise your voice and try to grunt, all right? Just help a brother out. In our culture, tell me if I'm not right about this, in our culture today, the job and the definition of what it means to be a man has been blurred. And, 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 and it's, been, it's been blurred with society's push for gender neutrality. And as much as we hear of gender neutrality, uh, while that sounds good from an equal rights perspective, which I totally am with and I totally agree with, but let me tell you, God from the beginning gave men and women very distinct and different roles. All right, here we go. <laughs> 
The Bible is very clear about that, and the Bible is clear about the role of men. And the reason I wanted to start this series right there is because I really want to lay a foundation, because it's such a blurred thing. And the reason I wanted to do it within the, within the earshot of women instead of on our Tuesday nights is because when it's blurred, it's not just blurred and sometimes confusing for men. It can be blurred and confusing for the women that are married to those men. And so I want to take a biblical look, and I want to contrast two of the most famous Bible characters just to contrast uh, what it means to be a mighty man and maybe, uh, and, and maybe the opposite of that. And so I want to take, uh, you probably all know whether you've been in church or not, I want to take two characters out of the Bible. I want to take Adam, and then I want to take Jesus. And I want to contrast them, because they both have the very same assignments, and one of them failed, and one of them succeeded. I want to take, the Bible calls it, it, it Adam, and, and, and if you've been in church any length of time, you know that Jesus is often referred to as the second Adam. Has anybody heard this before? Anybody? Wave your hand at me if you have, okay? Okay, so, uh, so those that didn't raise your hand, the Bible's very clear. In fact, let me prove it to you. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. Watch this. The last Adam, that's referring to Jesus. Anytime you see the second Adam or the last Adam, that's referring to Jesus. And I love this because we use this term around here a lot, a life-giving spirit. So, so the first Adam, he brought life. But the last Adam, he brought a life-giving spirit. All right? Uh, I, I want to compare the two as a definition to what it takes to be a man. Um, again, because I think the definitions in our culture can become very blurred. And, and we have young men that are growing up wondering and asking the question, what does a man look like? And you take the father out of the home, and that even magnifies what does a man look like. And with the absence of mentors and coaches and pastors and, and godly men, come on then we are left with a society wondering, what does it look like to be a godly father? What does it look like to love my wife? What does it look like to be a single man in society today? And what marks tell me if I'm, if I'm measuring up or not? Mm -hmm. If you use the marks of society, how many know that oftentimes we'll hit the wrong target? How many know I'm right about that? Just to contrast those two together, let me just show you some simple statements, and then I want to give you four major differences between the first Adam and the second Adam. But, but I want you to know that Adam, first of all, Adam, what he accomplished was he separated us from God. Do I have that at all? He separated us from God. That's what the first Adam did. He was called to be a man. He was given a very specific role. But in the failure of that role, he separated us from God. Sometimes, watch this guys, the power and the influence that a father has, if he fails in that responsibility, oftentimes it will lead the family to being separated from God. 
God has invested incredible influence in you. 14%. Now, I don't say this to the detriment of any single moms in this place, but when a child, when a kid goes to church with just their mom, when they reach 18 years old and adulthood, 14% of them will continue to go to church after that. When they, when they go to church with dad and mom together, 93% of those kids will continue to serve the Lord for the rest of their lives. That's the power that God has put inside of fathers the first Adam he failed and he was he separated not only him but he separated his family from God he separated his whole the whole human race from God that's why we have to be born again but the second Adam Jesus comes along and what he does he's a repairer of the breach he builds a bridge and he brings union with God come on that that if you don't hear anything else that's the difference between a man that failed and a man that succeeded and is there any more important task than either being separated from God or being united with God. Are you guys with me today? Let's look at the four major differences that appear. I'm just going to give some character traits of men. And by the way, the young men uh, I credit because one night we talked about what does it look like to be a man. And these four th- uh, that I'm r- bringing to you, they actually came from the crowd and kind of developed this message. So number one, uh, mighty men reject passivity. And, we, and I'm using the term mighty men because that's kind of what we've been talking about on Tuesday nights. We've been using the phrase of all of David's mighty men that gathered around him. And, and the kingdom was strong because of the mighty men. But mighty men reject passivity. Um, now, if you're not careful, you'll, you'll line that up with, with uh, the, the, the lens of society and, and Hollywood, and you'll think, oh, that means to be a macho crazed, right? Being a mighty man is more than a style. It's more than a style. In fact, let me just contrast two brothers real quick. Twin brothers, twin brothers, mind you, Jacob and Esau. If you know anything about them, they were extremely different. Same family, same values, and God calls them both men. And so being a man is not about style. Jacob, if he was alive today, Jacob would be home watching the cooking network, all right? He would be holding his wife's hand with one hand and a box of Kleenex with the other watching a Hallmark movie. Can I hear an amen from the ladies? He, he, he didn't go out hunting. He stayed home and cooked. He, he probably subscribed to GQ magazine. He was probably into skin care and, and beard balm, and he was probably into fashion, all right, uh, okay? And all the ladies are like, ooh, amen. Every time a lady describes the perfect man, she describes a woman. I don't understand it anyway. And Jacob, her, her, his brother from the same family, God called Jacob a man, but he didn't go out and hunt. He didn't do what society might say looks like a manly man. He stayed home and he cooked. And Esau was the one that went out hunting. In fact, the Bible says that Esau was hairy and Jacob wasn't. I don't know. I'm trying to do both. I don't know. 
So I'm not talking about personality styles. I am not talking, men hear me, I'm not talking about whether you're aggressive personality or you're a calm personality. I'm not talking about where you score on the personality test. I'm not talking about biceps and triceps and horsepower and four-wheel drives versus books and computers. I'm not talking about that because both are men and both are needed. The lion is needed. Can I hear a roar? And the lamb is needed. And the Bible called Jesus both of them. Mm-hmm. So many men, uh, and I'm not accusing anybody, but based on society and study and what's happening, there are a lot of men who are go-getters at work. They know how to build companies. They know how to make million-dollar deals. They know, how to, they, they know how to employ people and just build great companies. And they're go-getters on the workplace, but when they get home, they become passive. But mighty men are not passive. And one of the reasons behind this, why, why can men, I've been asked this question, why, why do I feel like, can I can go just build a company, but when it's time to go home and pray with my wife, when it's time to go home and dis- discipline my kids, man, I just shrink to that task, but man, I'm mighty over here, I'm a lion over here, but sometimes I feel like a lamb right here. And ladies have asked that question, and I want you to understand something about the DNA of men. See, God gave men a position before he gave men a person. And so we get our fulfillment, Adam, from what we do. Adam, I want you to go conquer. I want you to go have dominion. I want you to replenish. I want you to fix broken things. I want you to name the animals. And Adam heads out to the garden. Roar! He gets in his pickup truck with his coffee mug with Adam's animal naming company on the side of his truck. And he feels like a man because he was first given a position. And so he gets his fulfillment from what he does. He gets his fulfillment. Look at that wall I just built. He gets his fulfillment with, look at the company I built. He gets his fulfillment. You give a man a business card and his name on his door, come on. He feels like he's done something. He's task-oriented. And it's time that women quit expecting men to be women. Because the lines are too blurred. Come on, I knew it'd be quiet today. I'll be the loud one. I'll amen myself. That was good, Ken. Pow, pow. All right, yeah, way to go. Yeah. God gave Adam a position, but he also gave him a person. Mm. Watch this. Why is it so different? Why are men and women so different? Because when he created Eve, he gave Eve a person before he gave her a position. And he gets his fulfillment through what he does. She gets her fulfillment through how she loves. Ooh. And, and it's an unfair advantage. Tell me I'm, I'm, I'm wrong about this. It's unfair because girls grow up rehearsing relationships. They got make-believe friends around the tea table. They're not even there. They're practicing conversation before they're three years old. They got make-believe chairs sitting around a tea party with fake tea and plastic teacups. Hello, how are you today? Oh, I'm wonderful. How was your week? My week was good. Could I have another spot of tea? Uh, Yeah, and and, and they're talking. I got a three-year-old granddaughter that's already doing this. She's using words like, it's a wonderful day. Who taught her that? It wasn't Jake. 
Contrast that. That's what little girls are doing. They're practicing for this their whole lives and wondering, well, why doesn't he talk? Well, you've had years of practicing communicating. We've been out in the woods with our buddies playing King of the Hill, and all we do is go, pew, pew, pew. <laughs> so we know how to grunt, and you get mad when we grunt, but that's the best we got. Come on, everybody. You notice how I said that? The lion was coming out. Leave me alone. Right? In Genesis, God gives all authority and dominion to Adam in the garden. He said to guard it, to rule it, to have authority. You be the king down there, I'll be the king up here. King of kings and lord of lords. And the devil comes and he tempts Eve and she falls into temptation. And I would have, I would have at this point, remember, mighty men reject passivity. So the devil is tempting Eve. She falls into temptation. About the time that temptation is going on, if I was the writer of this story, if I was making this Hollywood movie, about the time that the devil is seducing Eve, messing with Eve, messing with my wife, I would have had like Adam, shirtless, muscles rippling, come on, like the cover of a romance novel, busting through the garden, running, pecs rippling in the wind. You know what I'm talking about? Come on, don't act like you never watch Netflix. Come on, somebody. It's like the last of the Mohicans. Here he comes, ready to pounce on the serpent, chop off the serpent's head, and hold the snake in one hand and the sword in the other. That's how I'd write the story. Yeah. And unfortunately, that's how many women wish the story had been written. And I thought, where was Adam? What hunting trip was Adam on? But Adam messed up because Adam was passive. The first Adam was passive. Mm. Because I realized after reading the story a little closer that Adam was standing right next to his wife when she was going through the greatest trial of her life. And Adam didn't say a word. And so we like to blame old Eve for taking the apple. But I want to know, why didn't Adam speak up? See, Adam failed. He became a passive man. Wait, God gave him the job to have authority and have dominion. But the first test that came along, he failed in the very assignment, come on, that God gave him. Let me show it to you. Genesis chapter number 3, verse number 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for the food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband. You see those words? Who was with her? He was right there watching the whole thing. He failed the passivity test. He could have said something. He could have fought. He could have said, oh, no, you didn't. He could have done the karate kid. He could have done something. But he remained silent. Men, one of the biggest problems in society right now is we got too many silent men. And it's not your fault. Because society has made us look like idiots and look like bullies when we try to stand up and have a voice. Hello? Come on now. Adam, and because of his passivity, he was right there and he didn't say nothing. Now watch the consequences. They died spiritually. I wonder how many families are dying spiritually 
because men are being passive. It's just a thought. I'm not picking on anybody. I'm just throwing the question out there. 1 Corinthians 15, 22 says this. It says, for as in Adam all of us die. He was passive, and now in him we all die. Men, hear me. Passivity will kill because God called us to have authority. Mm -hmm. So in Christ, Christ didn't fail in the passivity test. So in Christ, we are all made alive, all right? So watch this. Here comes the second Adam. I, don't, I won't preach this all out, but if you study the life of Jesus, and by the way, if your picture of Jesus is some blonde hair, sunken in face, carrying a lamb, walking the golden seashores of Galilee, that's your flannel graph picture of Jesus. You got the wrong picture of Jesus because he's a conqueror. Come on. I don't even have to get any further than the fact that Jesus was born in a manger to show you he's not passive. Because he made the decision to strip himself of deity put on the uniform of humanity and be born in a manger to walk where we walk, to be tempted by what we're tempted. He wasn't passive. He said, I'll go. I'll pay the price. I'll hang on the cross. I'll take the beating. I'll wear the crown of thorns. I, I will die so they don't have to die. That is the complete opposite of passivity. Come on, everybody. Read, just read the life of Jesus. Watch him making a whip. He didn't just pick up, a, he, he's badder than Indiana Jones. I mean, Indiana Jones knew how to use a whip, but Jesus is over there watching something go on in the church he don't like, so he's over there making a whip. He's not out of control, Matt, he's in control. And he takes the whip and begins to do something that is wrong. He doesn't sit by idly or passive. He does something to take charge of a situation that is wrong. Come on. Number two is that mighty men accept personal responsibility. Not only do they reject passivity, but they accept personal responsibility. My son and I were talking one night. He said, you know, Dad, most of the world's problems would be okay, would be solved if somebody would just stand up and take personal responsibility for their actions. It's always somebody else's fault. Mighty men, if you're in the room, we've got to take personal responsibility. Watch the contrast. Jesus and Adam both had three major responsibilities. Here they are. This is going to be a little sub-sermon under the sermon. Can you guys handle it? Here they are. They, all, they both had a will to obey, they had a work to do, and they had a woman to love. I know somebody's thinking right now, heresy! Jesus didn't love a woman. Well, the church is often referred to in a feminine sense, and the church is the bride of Christ. So the first Adam and the second Adam had a will to obey, a work to do, and a woman to love. Adam failed on all three. Jesus gives us an example of taking personal responsibility in all three. In fact, let me just read one verse real quick. John chapter number 4, verse number 34 says, My food, Jesus said, is to do, there it is, the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then the whole church thing is the bride of Christ. We'll get to that, okay? Um, he, he loved us to the point of laying down his life. So he took personal responsibility, and that's what mighty men do. Let's break these three down real quick. A will to obey. Let me talk to the men in the room and the men that are watching, whether you're watching this a year after I preach it or you're watching it live. Men, just like Adam, the first Adam and the second, we have a will to obey. Finding God's will for your life should be number one priority. Finding God's will for your life should be number one priority. How do you want me to raise these kids? How do you want me to treat my wife? 
finding God's will for your life and following his plans and his steps. I told you it was going to be quiet today because the women want to say amen, but I told you not to, all right? Second, there's a work to do. And I know this is where, okay, this is me. We got a work to do. But I'm talking about more than building airplanes. And I'm talking about more than punching a time card. Come on, somebody. I'm not, uh, that, that's wonderful. It, it, it is honorable that you're putting food on the table. It's honorable that you get up every morning and put your boots on. It's honorable that you go out there and you got a job. All that's honorable, but not just your job. A, a work to do includes raising your children. A work to do includes what work are you going to do in the kingdom and for the kingdom of God. Uh, uh, and, and by the way, it's interesting, I, I dove into this, you know, that a lot of times now the mindset is, oh, let the women raise the kids. That, that's, that's new, that, that is not biblical, by the way. That came along when the Industrial Revolution hit the shores of America. See, prior to that, Mama and Daddy and all the kids were working the ground and the farm together. And when, and when Junior was doing something, Daddy would say, no, son, and he would teach him. And he would disciple him, and he would coach him. Then the Industrial Revolution hit our shores, and all the men packed up their lunch buckets and went to work, leaving the child-rearing to the mothers, and some have never turned back. Well, that's the way my dad did it. Just because your dad did it doesn't mean it's right. (laughs) Okay, let me move off that. That sounded kind of harsh, all right? But I wonder, what would it look like if men really got a hold of the principle that I have a work to do in the kingdom? Not just a work to do that I earn money, but I have a work to do that has eternal value. What would it look like? And then lastly, they had a woman to love. Check this out. Ephesians chapter number 5, verse number 25. Here's what it says. Husbands, love your wives. By the way, I believe every husband that is sitting in this room, you love your wives. So for just a minute, let me preach to those that may be listening to this afterwards. Husbands, love your wives. Now, it would be real easy. If you told me to love my wife, I'd say, I love my wife. But then the next line really jacks me up. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Can any man at least say, ouch? That's a tough one. I'm still, uh, the, I, I first interpreted that, that, well, Jesus loved the church while the church was sinners. What that means is I'm supposed to love Patty even when she's wrong in the argument. How many know that's, a, <laughs> how many know that's twisting the scriptures just a little bit, right, everybody, <laughs> right? Uh, now, now, there's some men in this room that have been in church long enough. You know the verses before that that say, women, submit to your husbands. Listen, guys, once you get this verse down, then you can start quoting the other verse. How many know I'm right about that? Yeah? Okay. Um, now, Oh, we got some amens now. <laughs> Woman sitting all by herself, brave enough to say, yeah, go on, girl. Right? I know that's right. Come on, all right? When my wife and I were first married, and, and, and I like to talk about, you know how preachers talk about their sins, but they were a long time ago? <laughs> I'm still working on this verse. I have a tendency, I, I like bottom line. I don't really care about the story. I, I don't want to hear about the birthing pains. Just show me the baby. You know what I'm talking about? And uh, so Patty loves to tell the story. 
and I've already jumped to the end of the story and the conclusion and what she should have done different in the story. It's the nail in the head. Come on. And I was short with Patty. I, 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 I say that I was mean to her. I wasn't mean because I ever put hands on her. I wasn't mean because I, I never called her names. But I, I didn't listen to her or I tried to fix things. I thought that's what I was supposed to do. And, and after all, I was given, watch this, my DNA is to, if it's, when he says replenish, that means to fix something that's broken. That means if there's a nail in your head, it's very hard for me to sit there and go, oh, how'd that make you feel? Come on, men, just wink at me. It's all right. <laughs> and then Janessa was born. And I looked at my little girl that God put in my family and realized one day I'm going to reap what I sow. And if I treat her mom short and didn't let her feel validated and oftentimes made her feel stupid because she even had a problem, if I speak short like that to her, then Janessa's going to say, it's okay for me to marry somebody that speaks like that to me. And I began to repent. And I began to say, oh God, help me. Jesus, help me. Because I know, no matter how Christian I am, you still reap what you sow. Come on, can you guys hear that? Number three, mighty men lead with courage. Mighty men lead with courage. Watch the contrast. I'm not saying that you never have fear. Men, I am not saying that. If you're going to be real and we're going to get in a circle and we're going to take off our capes, come on. We got fear. It's how you handle the fear that makes the difference. Come on. I was on an airplane trip. I told this to the Tuesday night crew. I was on an airplane trip from Minneapolis. I just got done preaching there and was trying to fly home to Michigan. And, and, and it was a red eye. And so in the middle of the night, the stewardesses were getting the drinks out. All of a sudden, the airplane shook. Boom! And it shook like that. And a giant fireball was streaming out one of the engines. Now, how many know that's a little cause for the lion, the, the, the lamb wanted to cry, but the lion needed to jump up. Now, here's what happened, and I'm not making fun of anybody. I'm just trying to make an illustration about that time. And by the way, let me also say that a lady and her like 10-year-old son was sitting next to me. When the airplane, boom, middle of the night, fireball coming out the engine like a stream of fire. One guy on the plane jumps up, starts screaming, running down the middle aisle to the stewards. Ah, the engine's on fire. The engine's on. I wanted to punch that guy in the face. I was just as afraid as he was. The difference is not whether you're afraid or not. The difference, men, is how we handle the fear. Because there is no such thing as courage unless we first are facing the fear. And just because you have fear does not give you an excuse to lose your mind. Come on, somebody. I was just as afraid. Some, come on, men, help me, because maybe the ladies aren't grabbing a hold of this. But, but I might have been just, but, but that lady was sitting next to me. I don't know where her husband was, and her 10-year-old impressionable son was sitting next to me, and they were afraid. And I needed to stand there and have courage because they were looking at me, and I was scared on the inside, but I was going to be a lion on the outside because that's what men do. Come on now. Yes, it is. Now, now hold on. I didn't say all the time, there's a place I go to fall apart, but it's not in front of you. 
It's not when the fire is coming. I'll fall apart after the fire is taken care of. Huh? That plane finally landed. Fire engines were all over the airport. I went into the bathroom, closed the stall. Ah, thank you, Jesus. Ah. But I wasn't going to lose control right then, right there. There's a time and a place, and there's people that you share your fears with, and there's people you stand up in the face of every obstacle there is. Come on, everybody. Mighty men lead with courage. Can I get an amen? Yes, 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 yes. Um, here, here's what I want to know. Adam failed on this because Adam couldn't lead his family because Adam didn't lead himself. Where was the courage? Here, here's what I want to know. I know this might mess with your theology just a little bit, but here's what I want to know. How did the snake even get to Eve? The garden was his home. How did the snake get in your house, Adam? That's what I want to know. Where are the men that stand at the gates of their home and said, no, that's not coming in here. That's not allowed in here. I want to know how the snake ever got. Mm. I want to know how it got in there. Well, my son, he has a bedroom with a lock on it. Forget that. That's your house. How did it get in here? Let me just give you a quick thing on this really quick. Um, We didn't have many rules in our home. And, and um, we really didn't. Um, there were just some things that weren't allowed in the house. You hear what I'm saying? There were some snakes that weren't allowed into the garden. Is anybody grabbing this? It, it, it wasn't about rules and you got to do this and you got to do this and you're not allowed to do this. We were never the Christian home. You can't listen to that kind of music and you can't watch those shows and you, you better be home at this time. All, we, we just didn't do that. There were just some things that weren't allowed in the house. Bad attitudes and disrespectful attitudes were not allowed in the house. Come on, everybody. Uh, I I don't know if you heard that, but from the balcony was a big amen. That was my son (laughs) to support what I'm saying, all right? Uh, Making fun of one another was not allowed. Jake wasn't allowed to make fun of Janessa. Janessa wasn't allowed to use derogatory comments to make fun of Jake. They weren't allowed. That stuff just wasn't disrespecting their mother wasn't allowed. I only had to give them the speech one time. That's my wife. You mess her up, I'll mess you up. Come on. It just wasn't allowed. Men, there needs to be some things that simply are not allowed in your garden. Come on. You should not allow in the house. So Adam refused to take charge and step up and lead when his wife was having her weakest moment ever. Um... Here's what's interesting. Watch this. Watch the, con- watch the contrast of Jesus. Adam is being tempted by food. The second Adam comes along. Does anybody know where I'm going? The second Adam, after fasting for 40 days, is tempted with food also. Both of them were tempted with food. One is an apple, one's turned the stones into bread. But the first and the second faced the same temptation. And here's how Jesus, the second Adam, dealt with it. Matthew chapter number 4. Jesus said to the devil, same devil that tempted the first Adam, said, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Man, I want to preach that, but I'm going to refrain. But men, can I just tell you, there's some things we need to say. Away from me. Yeah. 